Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Monday special. Now, this episode has probably been long overdue. I've mentioned it so many times. I've kind of done a few tips for working with sources before in my other podcasts. And if you follow my Instagram stories, you've seen my, um, I'm not going to call them rants. They were just a commentary on uh, my life. So uh, today I'm going to share with you how many tips have I got? I've got like 12 plus tips on sort of working with sources, the kind of things you should be vetting them for, what to look out for, uh, and then how best to work with them. Because, you know, you see a lot on the, the forums and on Facebook and everything that, oh, a sourcer messed me over, or, oh, God, sources are so terrible, or that, you know, you hear all these kind of things. Um, and you hear positivity as well, but not as much. You know, I don't remember the last time someone posted and said, sourcer found me a great deal. I actually cannot remember seeing that once apart from when I've perhaps said it. I mean, I don't know if I'm missing out, but there seems to be a lot of negativity. And, you know, I'll be honest, I think sourcing is one of these things, and I don't know if it's me being honest or if it's the truth, like, you know, being an estate agent, like being a recruiter, like being a personal trainer, there's a very low barrier to entry. Uh, I guess like being a podcaster too, right? So anyone can do it. And when you have this, like with the other jobs I mentioned, naturally, statistically, humanly, you're going to have a lot of people who are rubbish at it because, you know, when you're a doctor, for example, how often do you hear of bad doctors? You know, not that often. Yeah, you hear of one case that gets blown up, but actually not really because they've gone through 10 years of training, you know, whereas sources, recruiters, etc., don't. So I think naturally we have to kind of take a realistic view on it and say, yeah, a lot are going to be rubbish. A lot are doing what the courses say, which is, Start sourcing, build up money. Once you've got the money, then you can invest yourself and build your own portfolio because, you know, you will learn loads of skills as a sourcer. Like, you know, I think it's a great way into building your portfolio. Now, perhaps there's a conflict of interest where sources are building their portfolio. Well, they're, they're sourcing things to build their portfolio. So their real passion is getting that money and securing the fee to then grow their own portfolio. Now, when you're driven by something that isn't the sole purpose of, of your sort of task or your career then you know the level of quality of your output can change you know like if someone is focused on pure success and delivery and client satisfaction as a whole they're going to make a better source than one who's purely focused on getting the fee to build their portfolio so I think there's again something which you know we can't change that a lot of sources and if you're listening to this you know please if you disagree or you agree, let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram or, or Facebook or email me. Uh, that, you know, your performance is always going to be affected by your goals, by your why, by your kind of reason for doing a certain thing. You know, and this is not a dig at sources whatsoever. I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation from my opinion and maybe help explain certain things that people might have experienced with sources or are seeing with sources. And, and from my opinion, that's what I think is happening or has happened. Uh, you know, I've got friends who are sources. I know, I know a fair few. I know a fair few good ones. I know, you know, some who just, you know, don't seem that good or don't send the great deals. But then again, it's the same with hairdressers or computer manufacturers or plants or whatever, right? Uh, I know plenty of 
you know, cheese from Tesco isn't that that nice. You know, sometimes you got to go Whole Foods. You got to just push that that budget out a little bit. Uh, so, I'm going to share these tips with you because I hope they're really really useful. And before I start, I have spoken to, met, worked with a, f- a few sources in South Wales. So if you are investing there or you're interested in it, I'm more than happy for you to ask me my experiences with them. I'm not going to tell you my feelings or any emotion with it. I'm just going to say to you, here's how we've interacted and here's how it went. Fact. Well, you know, fact from my opinion. There's not going to be any, oh, I don't like them. It's just going to be, this is what happened. Just so you can form a judgment, right? And so everyone knows my first house I bought through Sean Forsey. You might recognize him. He posts in Progressive a bit. I know people have been asking me. Um, and it's going well so far. We've just discovered the, the lintels on the back window holding half the house up a rotten wood, not concrete. Great. Thank you, cowboys, in, in the past. Um, so there's always challenges of property. But I'll do another podcast on my progress at another point. So let's get into it. Uh, integrity. Sources need to have integrity. And what this means is look at how they operate on Facebook. Look at how they talk, how they communicate, the values they put across. You know, when you speak to them and they say, ah, yeah, do a do a 200 quid refurb, chuck some DSS shitty tenants in there, mate. If they don't pay, just grab them by the scruff of the neck, kick them out, whatever, mate, 400 quid a month, done. Then you've got to think, mm, okay, we're not in the 90s anymore, mate. Like, you know, uh, unless you want to be like that, whatever, you shouldn't. Um, you know, look at how they interact, look at how they speak on the phone to you, ask them questions, you know, uh, what would you do in this situation? Oh, okay. You know, what if you messed up? Would you, would you take the ownership for it? You know, have have you messed up before with it, with a deal? You know, tell me what happened. You know, kind of like interviewing them. And this might come naturally to me because I am a recruiter as well, but you have to be curious and ask them things like, don't, uh, think because they're a source that they've got a deal and you really want that deal that they're sitting higher than you. You're both sitting at the same plane. Um, so obviously show equal respect and they'll show you respect, hopefully. But, you know, look at their integrity because when shit hits the fan, which it always will, you need to know that they're going to be pooper scooping and cleaning that shit up, right? They're not going to be going behind your back or doing anything silly. And at the same time, show them, you know, integrity as well because, you know, you do, you want them to trust you that you're not going to go behind their back somehow, right? Uh, having a brand is the next thing. Now, you know, the bigger something is, the harder it falls. So if someone has a powerful brand, let's take Rob Moore, for example. If he messes up or does something wrong or unethical, he has a lot to lose. Like he's going to be falling all the way down. If if Harry Smith with 10 followers on Facebook and three followers on, on a link to and Instagram together messes up, I mean, he's not even going to trip. Because there's no profile, there's no, um, he's not being held accountable for anything because there's nothing too hard, you know, you're going to ruin his reputation. He hasn't got one. So potentially, you know, maybe focus on working with sources who have brands because, you know, this might sound bad, but you've got a slight insurance there that if something goes wrong, you know, they've got, they've got something to lose. So the chances are they're not going to want to do something wrong because they've worked hard for that. And if they do, they're more likely to want to fix it because they know how easily reputations can be ruined, especially on the internet, right? Especially if you have proof if something's actually gone wrong. So, you know, personally me, I like to work with people who have some sort of brand or reputation online. Uh, it just kind of, you know, 
weirdly, it adds another level of security, which you don't get from someone who's behind the scenes. In addition, by having a brand, without talking to them, you can just watch from a distance, you know? You can see what deals they're posting, how they operate. I mean, I met Sean last year in May at the Masterclass. I didn't say to him, find me a property until... I can't remember if it was October or just before that. So I've been watching his Facebook saying, send me deals, send me deals. I'm just, oh, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Seeing how he interacted, seeing the deals he had. And then I was like, okay, well, yeah, I like this. Let's do it. And, you know, you don't have to wait that long. Of course, I was being pretty slow, but, you know, don't feel like you can't just watch and see, you know, deals are always coming and going. So, you know, just ask sources, hey, can I get on your mailing list? Could you send me every deal you have? I'm not interested in buying right now but I, I could be in the future and none of them will say no uh, unless they have like a personalized sourcing service type thing if that exists um and then of course i think you know one of the most important things is the quality of the deal you know all the other factors i'm going to go through if if they're a bit iffy but the deal really really stacks and is amazing and is legit then you you know you have to kind of look at it in a kind of balanced view that mm, you know do you know what i mean that's totally up to you and when i say quality of their deal i mean the numbers i mean the you know if it stacks to put it simply and this links me to the next thing is their spreadsheet now when you look at their deal and their spreadsheet and how they produce their figures it should be super detailed and it should contain things for every eventuality the mortgage interest rate yeah great they can put it at 2.8 but are you getting that probably not i put it at five so yeah, when I look at when I talk about my deals and I look at my monthly cash flow, I'm doing on five cent interest. So I'm getting way less. Well, on paper, I'm getting way less than others, or way less than I should. But I'm just stress testing it and preparing it for the economic future of the world, which who knows, right? And also, if I do it five percent when I get the mortgage at three or three point four, whatever it is, I'm going to be very happy when I'm like, oh, getting a little bit more money. You know, I can go to Whole Foods then, eh? Uh, so, you know. Look at their spreadsheet. I personally say to sources and only really like to work with those who leave their sourcing fee in the equation. So when they say money left in, I'm counting your your project management fee and I'm counting your sourcing fee. I think this should be in there because, yes, it's not attached to the house price, but it is because that is a cost. And that's a cost you can't even borrow like on a, on a, you know, from a mortgage lender. So that is a real hard cost that you have to pay. So, you know, analyze the quality of their deal, analyze their spreadsheet. Uh, you know, do they have a contingency? Their costing of things, even if you're new to property, there's a website and I'm, I cannot remember it for the life of me, but if you do some Googling, you'll find it and it allows you to check the quotes of plastering, of laying some tiles, of doing a bathroom against the national average. So when you get quotes in an area you're unfamiliar with or you're just not sure about refurbs, speak, you know, call your local builder and ask them, get a couple of quotes. Just say, hey, this is how big the bathroom is. I want a magnet, bath, kitchen, this, whatever. How much would it cost? Just do that a couple of times. Or go on Facebook, put a post up. Who invests in leads? Can someone tell me what their kind of costs are? Cool. If they match up, they match up. And write those figures down. So next time you get a deal in leads, you can say, ah, this is how much it should cost. Uh... Look at the, I guess, the project management fee as well in terms of what they're actually doing for that. Is it totally hands-off? Are you in? Do you get to have a choice in the colour of the vinyl, the kitchen unit, whatever? Just just really check things. Um, and then another thing that's really important is their attention to detail. And what's really important is, have they got it? Now, when you look at, the, again, this will come from when you look at the spreadsheet. It will come from when you speak to them and when you bring things up. 
me as a person, I'm very detail oriented, oriented, uh, not in how I dress, that's bad, but in, in my deals in my business, uh, you know, you can ask any of my friends if there's ever a contract, I'm like, nope, I'm reading it. I'm going to read it line by line. I don't care if it's verbose, whatever rubbish, I'm reading it, legal jargon, I'm reading it. So when it comes to a deal, I need an attention to detail. You know, I need everything to be correct as to what it is. I need it to be true. Uh, and if a source hasn't got attention to detail, you got to think, okay, so especially it's not really right and there's no attention to detail. When we do the refurb, when we do things and go along, they're going to miss out little details potentially. And it's not going to be as I need it, right? Um, and it's not to say sources are going to be perfect. None of us are, right? So don't expect perfection, but expect, you know, the truth, right? Expect it, it to match what it should. And I think always question things. If you're like, mm, that seems really cheap. Like I got a deal recently and I was like, a kitchen for that little, painting for that little. And they said, yeah, we've got a guy who sprays it instead of paints it. So it's very cheaper. Kitchens, we got LMPG, blah, blah, blah. And, all and I was like, okay, cool. So I verified it with a few people and, and it was correct. And I was like, damn, that's cheap. Okay, cool. Um, with a healthy contingency. Now, again, the next thing is broker. Uh, now, when you're still on the topic of the deal, I learned this recently because I bought it. I was, I was buying a deal with a sourcer, two sources I really like, actually. Great attention to detail, very different to every other sourcer. And I'm about to tell you why. We, this house was next to a pub and I put this on my Instagram story as well. Now, I didn't have a clue that mortgage lenders will not really lend on a house that's terraced or next to a pub. What, like, why not? I, you know, what, are, are people in the pub like drilling through the walls? Are they dig, digging underneath causing subsidence? I don't know, maybe an underwriter who's listening can tell me. Uh, I know you're out there. So... I went to view this house, all good, all good, went off the market, went back on the market, oh, long story short, I was like, yeah, well, I'll have the deal, cool. Got a survey done, paid 370 quid for that, um, with a really good surveyor, actually, so if you need surveys in South Wales, let me know, I'll introduce you. Uh, and got the survey done, and the first thing the guy says is, before anything else about the property, which was generally quite fine, he said, it's next to a pub. I've turned down many, many applications for lenders when they send me out, because it's, being next, to, it's next to a pub. And I was like... Okay, so I emailed, I, I sent a text to Michael Primrose, who's been on the podcast before, who's a broker, and my other friend, Shazad Ahmed, and they both said, yeah. You know, Shazad was like, yeah, you're looking at it together, they'll mortgage it for you, yeah. 7% a month, I mean, 7% interest, I was like, okay, cool, that's not on my spreadsheet. So, as an aside to my main point, you know, now you know this about pubs, if you didn't know already, I didn't, um, I paid for this survey. Now... When we went to the property, I did say to the sourcer and the agent, it's next to a pub, is that going to cause an issue? And they made a joke, ah, no, most people probably love it next to a pub around here. It's like, cool, great, cool, nice, live your best life. And then I sent a voice note to the sourcers. You know, you could hear my anger. It was professional, but you could hear my anger. And I said, look, this is this is, this is is not on. I just paid 270 quid for a survey. And this is something Yasha told me from the beginning. Same day, the sourcers sent me the money and covered that survey. Now, I wonder how many sources would do that. Now, if you're listening and you're saying, yeah, you would, big up yourself because everyone needs to be like that. Um, they didn't have to. They could have said, oh, sorry, it's DD, but they have a reputation to uphold and they, they're in it for the long game. So what they should have done and what you know, a sourcer should do and what you should check with the sourcer is once you have a deal, have they checked with their broker? Like, have they told them everything? Have they sent the address? Have they said there's not we tendals down? Like, if they haven't, when you get that deal, 
what you need to do is send it to your broker, send a picture of Street View, and say, look, anything suspicious here? Or if you note anything suspicious, say it. Uh, because uh, yeah, I had no clue about the pub. So, or commercial building, or anything that's non-sort of like a house next to it, just double check. Uh, so ask them, have you asked your broker? And the next thing is personality. Now, look, you can work with idiots. Don't get me wrong. You can work with someone you don't get along with if the deal's good. But I ask you this, do you want to? Life's too short. This is totally up to you. But again, this is why I watch people before I work with them or, or sort of say, yeah, find me a deal. I want to know what they're like as a person because it's important, you know, like when you're working with them, when they're project managing the refurb, if they are, and as you're going through the process, you want them to be on it, to be providing you details, to be responding quickly, to be giving you what you need. And I've only found a few sources who do this. Uh, So, you know, personality, totally down to you. I'm going to get along with someone that you're not going to get along with someone and vice versa. So it's a totally personal thing to you. Now, the area, it's very easy for sources to say, oh my God, 70% race. I don't know which sources are from California, but, um, you know, it's easy for them to say stuff like that. Oh yeah, tenants paying 700 quid a month. But when you call an agent and they're like, oh God, we would never walk into that area. We would not manage anyone in that area. You know, they graffiti on the inside in that area. Um, then you're like, oh right. So yeah, they're paying 600 on the AST, but what are they actually paying me? Uh, so check the area on streetcheck.co.uk. It's actually really interesting to see the kind of like the census population details about education, about jobs, about which houses are owned and which are not. And actually, if you're going to flip a property using street check, you can see how many houses are privately owned versus rented or social. So, you, And I think it's from the 2011 census. I don't know how often they do them, but it's still a good indication or a rough indication of an area. You can use mouse price to also look at heat maps of, say, social housing. So if you don't want social housing tenants, nothing wrong with them. It's a different strategy in itself then you can use a heat map to avoid or to pick certain areas um, based on social housing, based on a few other factors. So when it's also gives you an area, check it on street check, check it on mouse price, ask people in the who know the area better. Because I'm assuming if you're using a source, it's not in your local area. That's why I'm kind of saying all these things about check it. If someone sent me a deal in Southall, I'm going to know what's up. I'm going to know what's happening, right? If they send me a deal in North Wales, I haven't got a clue really. Uh, apart from Snowdonia, it's like mid Wales. Uh, so... Check the area out before, you know, you kind of believe what the sourcer says. And I guess leading on from that is research. Now, agents chat shit. We all know this. If you're an agent listening, you know this too. Let's be honest, yeah? That's not a problem. That's fine. And what I mean by this is take things they say with a teaspoon of salt, sea salt. Now, call agents when you get a deal or or if you're just generally researching the area and you've got a deal in it. Say, hey, how much do things rent for here? Call at least three. Call three and say, I'm looking at a property on this road. How much would it sell for you? Reckon it's a three bed, quite spacious. And once you have three, you'll have three, you know, you'll be able to make a a bit more of an informed average. You can then cross compare that to the sources deal. You're probably thinking, Ted, you've been speaking for 15 minutes and you're not done yet about how to vet a sourcer and and work with them. Yeah, it's not easy. And until you can trust them or understand an area fully, you know, you have to do this stuff first. Like with anything, it's an investment, right? You know, my first, so my first deal with Sean, I, it was 18 grand. I, I viewed it, pulled out because of subsidence. However, the second deal, I didn't view it. He sent me pictures, not a video, pictures, described it. I said, yeah, I'm in. Because I trusted that he knew not to mess around with me 
and not to send bad deals. And because I'd seen the first one, which, you know, apart from that was a good deal. And I went and viewed it afterwards and it was better than I thought it was. Um, so, you know, once you know a sourcer and you trust them, which, you know, take a few, bit of time, you, you don't necessarily need to view things, right? You know, you can do it off videos, you can do it off wherever. At the end of the day, the surveyor is going to catch out a lot more than you are. Unless you're a surveyor, then yeah, very, very useful to be a Rick surveyor. So I think that covers kind of most of the vetting in terms of the person, in terms of the deal. Uh, I, I guess another one is pressure. Like, you don't want a sourcer who's like, buy the deal, buy the deal, it's going to go off the table so quickly, so quickly, and then three weeks later, they're still shot in the deal to other people. So shot, I mean, selling. Uh, what you want is someone who has... I'm going to say like a good level of pressure because sometimes it can be tricky to decide these things and you need a little bit of a push. Maybe that's just me, but I do want a sourcer who's kind of like chasing and who is, you know, responding quickly. And so I, it's not pressure. I guess it's just being on it. You you know, you don't want someone to force you into a sale because that'll lead to bitterness and arguments with the sourcer. Uh, and look at the previous people they've worked with. I mean, look, they may not give it away because they could be big investors or they could, you know, there's definitely a reason why they wouldn't want to necessarily share that. But if you could speak to them, that would be awesome. Uh, or even a testimonial, yep, they can easily make it up. But, you know, what can you do, right? If you want to hear from people they've worked with before. But I guess in property, the beauty is if the deal stacks, it stacks, right? Uh, the next thing, I think, is when it comes to the terms and conditions. Now... The first thing is read those T and C's. Don't just sign them like when iTunes says, oh, we've got a new end user agreement or when Amazon says, we're updating our terms of business. You just press agree. I, I've probably signed my house away. I don't care. I've just signed it. It's Amazon. Yeah, there's trust. You don't know these people. Yeah. Yes, 99% of the time, they're not going to put anything malicious in there, but just read the contract. If you're putting your blood, if you're putting your signature onto something, please check it. Uh... Now, the only thing I say about contracts is one thing's really important. Some sources, sometimes it's an accident, will have terms that are from their limited company to you as a person. No, that's limited versus personal liability. Why are you having personal liability? They get limited. Eh -eh. You respond and say, nope, this needs to be from my limited company to yours. Again, you're not talking large amounts of money. You're not structuring a huge corporate deal. It's just not a huge thing, but you don't want to be personally liable when they're not. Uh, if you're both personally liable, sure, that's up to you. The biggest thing I have with sources is deposits. Now, I'm not going to say, oh, you shouldn't pay someone before exchange, blah, blah, blah. I understand why they take a deposit. It totally makes sense. You could be wasting their time up into exchange. So I'm not going to say, oh, don't pay a deposit before exchange. What I'm going to say is there's only one circumstance that this deposit should be non-refundable. That is if you as the buyer pull out. If you pull out for whatever reason that is your personal or is not related to the property or you don't feel like it, they, you know, the sourcer deserves that deposit all day long. They deserve more, really, because they're putting the work and you've pulled out because you don't feel like it or something. Now, if the property has, you know, structural damage that's different from the anticipated scope of works, if it has discovered not weed, if the surveys come back and said, actually, your refurb is going to be double... You know, if the vendor pulls out, if the agent or the, the vendor messes around or, you know, whatever happens is out of your control and out of the source's control, in, in no way in hell should they keep anything. Because if anything, you've put more money in, you've probably done searches, you've probably sent a surveyor in, 
And yet some sources want to keep that deposit and say, oh, it's non-refundable or we're going to take off a hundred quid admin fee. No, you're not. No. Yeah. Rude. You're not keeping anything because no one deserves it. If it's not the source's fault and it's not the buyer's fault, then as the buyer, I ain't paying for your time. I don't care, to put it frankly. We've both lost time and money. Why is yours more important than mine? So if you ever get any sort of non-refundable bullshit in a terms that is that is under like any circumstance, refuse, yeah? Stamp that terms red, refuse. Send back to sender. Because that's rubbish, yeah? It's rubbish. You can't do that. Like I said, I believe the only th- time it should be non-refundable is if you as the seller do something stupid and mess up and, and lose, you know, the source at a deal and their reputation, right? Otherwise... That money should come straight back to you. In terms of sourcing fees, look, it varies. The, the average seems to be like 3K. More for HMOs, maybe less for flats or something like that. So I can't really comment on that. But be very careful about the non-refundable deposits. Now, look, I hope this has helped you on working with sources. I know a lot of people who listen do work with sources. I mean, look, I'm, I'm in Wales every week, every other week, trying to find my own deals. But I've sort of had to realise and let go of, I guess, a bit of principle, well, not principle, a bit of ego and say, principally, if a sourcer comes to me with a good deal, that's not on right move, that I can't get direct, in an area I'm investing in or around it, like I was looking at dealing in Swansea the other day, I'm not looking in Swansea myself, but I shall consider good deals, uh, then I-, I will buy it, you know, because all in all, money left in includes their sourcing fee is still so low that I'm happy to do that, you know. And some people say, oh, why do you work sources for? Are you paying them all this money? Yeah, but it's all calculated, right? And it's a cost of business. And I think to have a deal found for you and to have it managed if it goes all well is is great. And you're not paying too much for it. So big up sources because the good ones do an incredible job and help people build portfolios and wealth that, you know, people who are non-investors or in property wouldn't have a clue how to do. So you know, there are a select few who are incredible, there are a few who are good, there are lots who are bad, but that's just how the cookie crumbles. If you don't like the deals, unsubscribe to the list and get on with it. But if something happens and you haven't signed anything or you haven't, you know, agreed terms or, you know, you're to blame, like people will take you for a ride if you don't sign stuff or if you you just go on on the shaking of the hands so make sure your like your liability and your your legalities are all correct you know if you have a t and some tncs that you're unsure of send it to me i'm not a solicitor i'm not here to provide legal or financial advice but i can look at it as a human who's looked at loads of contracts especially in recruitment and say look this isn't right so it's been helpful uh you know Continue to work with sources, continue to avoid the bad ones and work with the good ones, like with anything. And any sources listening, don't take offence from this. If you have any points or counterpoints, uh, or maybe we could get a few sources on and do a discussion, I don't know, uh, just message me. I do reply, I promise you, and it is me. I don't have a VA. It is me. And while I've got your attention, or at least I hope so, I'd like to remind you, this is the last week that the competition with Rich Little is going on. We've got eight places to come up to Yorkshire, right, up in North, to sit down round round table. The table's going to be round, I can guarantee that. You'll probably get a Tej Tarks t-shirt as well. And what we're going to do is, Rich is going to take us through all his properties. And we're going to do like a mastermind, spend a day with him, 
like we did with Megan before, look at some of his investments, look at where he invests, how he invests. And actually his podcast has shot up to like number six in the space of two weeks of all time. So people are really, really loving what he's doing. If you haven't seen the details for the competition, what are you doing? 1,400 people have listened to that episode so far, but I've got 12 people entering the competition. This is an amazing opportunity to spend a day for free with someone who, you know, you'd pay some training provider a grand for to see properties and learn so much from him, totally free. And one of you gets to win a skydive. Can you believe this? I'm giving away a skydive. I'm not doing it. No way. I'll watch you and I'll watch the GoPro video. That's it. My feet are both staying on the ground. Uh, Please enter. I'm going to be there as well, filming it, being the weird cameraman. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it will be like within a month or two from this week. So please, please, all you have to do is like a few pictures of mine on Instagram, like a few of Rich Liddles, subscribe to the podcast, like the Tej Talks Facebook page, leave a review for the podcast, join the mailing list, tej-talks.com, and that's it, you're in. It's that simple. Take you less than five minutes, right? I promise you. So please do enter and look out for this week's podcast as well. We've got a very interesting guest with lots of HMOs. Please leave a review if you haven't already. You know the deal. Thanks. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.